Shalom, Holy Scriptures and Israel is a ministry designed to share with the Jewish people the good news of the Lord Jesus Yeshua the Messiah and to instruct Christians on the Jewish roots of their faith. And now, teaching God's Word from a Hebrew Messianic perspective, here is Gideon Levitam. Today we are going to look into the second half of Romans chapter 6 and I think this is a very important chapter to look into because it helps us as believers in the Messiah to know how to live the life of the believer and we all have to admit that in our Christian walk, in our walk with the Lord as believers, we oftentimes find ourselves falling short of that which God has intended for us and here the apostle Paul, Shaul, is really helping us to see and to understand the privileges but also the responsibilities that we have in our walk with the Lord. And as you remember, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 deals with the theme of sanctification. And though we are all believers, and I trust everyone here can say that I am a child of God, I am saved, I belong to the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, but as believers, we need the help of the Lord to walk in a way that is pleasing to Him here in this world. So please turn with me to Romans 6, and we are reading today from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 6, beginning from verse 12. And so I'm reading those verses right now. Beginning at verse 6, it says, Let no man or let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield, as it says here, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves members to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members as servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And then he said that famous verse, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord. And that's the conclusion in the reading of Romans chapter 6. Remember, beloved brothers and sisters, that Romans 6, 7 and 8 deals with the theme of sanctification. We were dead in trespasses and sins. God concluded all the world under sin, Romans 1, 2, and 3. Then he provided through the work of Yeshua the Messiah, the Savior, he provided salvation, Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5. And now that we have brought into, we became children of God, we are saved, we are redeemed, now he teaches us the importance of sanctification, being set apart for God here in this world. So three chapters, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, deals with the theme of sanctification. In chapter 6, we have three words that we have spoken about them last meeting where we have been together. We have covered two of these words, and today, by the grace of God, we'll cover the third word. Those three words are these. Number one is to know in our mind. Number two, as we have here in verse 11, is to reckon in our hearts. And number three, from verse 12 to the end of the chapter, is to yield in our will. Those three interesting words. Usually, when we do a baptism, when somebody asks us, ask me to baptize them, usually I really like to read Romans chapter 6, those three words. To know in our mind, to reckon in our hearts, and to yield in our will. And here the Apostle Paul does something very precious when he explained this to believers. You know, to make it very practical, many times in our walk with the Lord as believers, we say to ourselves like this, I am forgiven, I am saved, I am going to heaven, and therefore I know that God will forgive me, He will show me grace, because I'm his child, I can kind of indulge myself in a life of sin. And sometimes, and we're all of us in the same boat, we allow ourselves to say, what's the difference? I will indulge myself with this life of sin. Because after all, God will forgive me. I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. And I will allow myself to creep into my life a pattern of sinful habits. And Apostle Paul tells us, don't you realize that when God saved you, he didn't save you so that you can live a careless Christian life. Or we would say it as Meshichim, as Messianic believers, a careless Messianic lifestyle. He doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to have a change that will be evident in our lives as believers so we will honor him and we will be blessing to other believers. So the thought that we learn here from Romans chapter 6 that a believer, a child of God, should not have an habitual, continual pattern of sinful life. Sin will come. We need to be judged, confessed, repented of. 
and continue on to live for the Lord. And so he's saying to them, if you remember the beginning of our chapter, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul gave us a straightforward answer, God forbid, may it never be. We should not continue in sin that grace may abound. Don't you know what happened to you when you became a child of God? You have entered into a different sphere of life. You are dead to sin. You are no longer servant to sin. It should not be characterizing the believer. It should not be characterizing the child of God. And so we talked about the knowing. We even talked about the reckoning. He says, likewise, reckon yourself also dead to sin. Not only knowing it in your mind, reckon it in your heart. Consider it true in your heart. And so now he's shifting from the mind to the heart, and now he's going to the will. And we can say the will is connected with our members of the body, with the feet. Where the rubble meets the road, where we are practically seeking to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And so there are two things that we learn here from verses 12 to 23 in connection with yielding. By the way, you notice there are five times the word yield is mentioned here in those verses. Notice that. Verse 13, neither yield your members. Verse 13b, yield your members. Verse 16, know ye not that to whom you yield. Verse 19 says, for as ye have yielded your members servants unto uncleanness. This is number four. And number five, he says, now yield your members as servants to righteousness. Notice the word yielding. I do a lot of highway driving. And when I merge, when I have to go from the ordinary road into the highway, I have to yield. I'm coming into the flow of the traffic, and I'm moving in, and I cannot just barge in. I have to yield to make sure that there's room enough for my car to fit into these long groups of cars and somehow to fit in a proper way so accident will not happen. So I will not hit somebody or somebody will hit me. Yielding is an important thing to do, not only as we drive, but also in the life of the believer. To yield? What does that mean, to yield? To yield is to give way. To yield is not to have my will, but to yield myself into someone or unto somebody else. And you know very well, beloved brothers and sisters, that we have a stubborn heart, we have a stubborn way. We want to go on with our own way. And God says, like he said to our people of old Israel, that he does not want his people to have a stiff neck. He wants them to be yielding themselves to him. He wants to be in charge. He wants to be in control over the life of the believer. So there are two things that we learn from verses 12 to 23 here. The first thing we learn is how the believer is to yield. How? This is verses 12 and 13. And verses 14 to 23, why the believer should yield. How the believer is to yield and why the believer is to yield. Two of these things we learn here in these verses. So let's talk a little bit first of all about how the believer is to yield. The first one is in verse 12, and the second one is in verse 13. 
How are we to yield? First of all, in verse 12, he says, Do not constantly allow sin to reign in your body, in our body. Look at this. I'm reading now verse 12. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Actually, to make it more practical, or to make it more forceful, the thought is, let not constantly sin, therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the last thereof. In other words, what he is really saying, that sin should not reign, be a king, continually in the life of the believer. The word for reign, we know it's when a king reigns, when a king or a judge or a ruler, when he is in charge, he tells us what to do. He tells his subjects what to do. And so the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, says, listen, do not allow sin to become king on an ongoing basis in our lives. That's what he's saying. Why? When sin is being allowed to rule on an ongoing basis in our life, when sin is being allowed to such an extent, you begin to wonder whether this person is a child of God. When sin becomes habitual, continual, without stopping and not judged by the believer, what happens, you begin to wonder whether this person is actually, truly, is a child of God. Because sin should not reign on an ongoing basis as king over our lives. And you notice, he used the word in verse 12, Let not constantly sin, therefore reign in your mortal body. See this body. We have this mortal body that God have allowed us still to have here while we are here. We have a new life and we have a new nature. But these members are still here with us. We have hands and feet and eyes and ears and so on. And we are using those members as we are here in this world. We are walking with them. We are going to work with them. We are going with our friends. We are coming to the meeting with them. The members of our bodies are something that we do have in our life. We cannot do without them. And yet God... God is saying that we are not to let continually sin reign over our mortal body. If you will read carefully Psalm 51, David's confession of sin to the Lord, you will notice that he used the words eyes, ears, heart, mind, because he wanted to confess before the Lord the sins that he had committed. You remember what happened? He took the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, committed fornication. And then what he did, he sent Uriah the Hittite to the front to die. He committed a murder. It was, in a sense, a vessel to commit murder. And on and on and on. And he realized that what the damage that he did to his life. When sin gets a hold of our life, we lack liberty and freedom and joy as believers. Though we are saved, because we belong to the Lord Jesus, but when sin creeps into our life, there is a lack of joy and peace, shalom in our hearts. 
And that's why Paul is saying, listen, in order for you to live the life as a believer, to mature, to be sanctified, set apart practically, you ought not to allow sin to be a king over your mortal bodies. Because if he sin becoming a king and ruling on an ongoing basis in your life, there is no liberty, no freedom, no joy. And that's why he's saying, do not allow sin to rule, to reign over your life. It is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 that Paul said, Don't ye know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which belongs to God. See, God wants the believers to recognize, He wants you and I to recognize that our bodies really belong to God. There was a price that somebody paid in order to save us. And now we have been shifted from Adam to Mashiach. From the old man to the new man. And therefore now the members of our bodies, the way we speak, the way we behave, the way we conduct ourselves, the things we do, our mind and our hearts belong to somebody else. And that's why he's saying, listen, do not allow a constant, ongoing sin to be a king over your mortal body. Because you will not going to have liberty. We're not going to have joy. You will not honor the Lord. You will not be a happy child of God. Then he tells us also in the next verse, in verse 13, he tells us, Do not yield, and yielding means to give over consistently, continually. Do not yield your members as a body, as unto unrighteous lifestyle. Neither yield, here is the two times that we have the word yield here in verse 13. Neither continually yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as an instrument of righteousness unto God. See what he tells us here. The yielding, again, this thought of yielding that we have here in these verses, the thought here is to give over. You know how it's a time very difficult to just let things go and let God, you know, we often hear this expression, let go and let God. It's very hard for us to let go and let God, because we have to be in charge of everything. We are in charge of every area of our life. It's very difficult for us to let go and to say, God, your will be done. And to submit to his will. There is only one man that totally have done it in his life. And it was none else but our blessed Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Even when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that? Gatshmanim, we call it in Hebrew. When he was anticipating death on the tree. When he said, Father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me, he said. You remember that? The cup was the cup of God's righteous indignation against sin. He was anticipating this cup which was full to the rim of man's sin and God's judgment to come upon mankind that he was anticipating to come upon him. And he says, Father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. But then you remember he added, nevertheless, he said, not my will, but thine be done. 
He totally, beloved brothers and sisters, totally, completely submitted himself to the will of the Father. And what happened? When he died, he died, he was willing to lay down his life, a ransom for many, not counting himself robbery to be equal with God, though he was a holy and a righteous God and man. He yielded himself and he went all the way to the cross. Philippians chapter 2. And he died this shameful death on the altar, on the cross. His will was totally giving over to God. Now, you know, it's funny, but you and I are expected also to yield to God as well in our life. And we know that this is an issue, this is a problem that we all have, and we are struggling with it in every area of our life. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, believers are to yield. How are they to yield? Not to allow constantly sin to be king over our lives. And number two is to yield, to give over the members of our body to be members as an instrument of righteousness rather than unrighteousness. So these verses 12 and 13 are emphasizing that neither yield your members as instrument of unrighteousness unto sin, but on the other hand, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. In other words, do the right thing. Allow your members of the body to be used for the glory of the Lord. And again, I want to emphasize that we have all failed in this area. Sin creep into our life. But sin need to be judged, confessed, repented of, and move on. And it should not become characterizing our life on an ongoing basis. A lifestyle of habitual sin. That God does not want for us to have in our life. So we have dealt with the first thing, verses 12 and 13, how the believers are to yield. Now in the next verses, 14 to 23, we have the second thought here is that why are we to yield? Why the believer is to yield? And he gives us reasons here why. Let me number them for you one by one. The first reason why we are to yield to God is because of the grace that we have received from the Lord. You know the word for grace in Hebrew, chen or chesed, it means favor. Sometimes it could mean merited favor. Sometimes it could mean unmerited favor. When it is applied to the Lord Jesus, our Messiah, it is a merited favor. You remember we read, and Jesus grew in grace. In the Gospels we read. What does that mean? That he didn't merit that favor? No, he sure did. He grew in grace because he was the unique son of God, son of man, the perfect individual, and he grew in grace. Everybody was pleased with him when they look at him. When we look at his life, there was nothing but perfection in the life of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. But when it's come to you and I, this favor was really unmerited. We didn't deserve it. We really didn't deserve what we have received. So here the apostle tells us in verses 14 and 15 why the believer is to yield. The believer is to yield because of the grace of God towards us. Unmerited favor. Look, we, it says in verse 14, I'm reading, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Verse 15, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid, may it never be. 
Paul is reminding those uh, believers at Rome, he's saying to them, listen, why are we to seek to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, yielding to the Lord? Is because, listen, we have received the unmerited favor of God. We are no longer under the law. We are under grace. And grace is the grace of God purchased us. The grace of God brought us to himself. The law condemned us. Grace drew us. The law judged us. But grace opened the door for us to be brought into a relationship with the Lord. Without money. Without price. It was totally the finished work of the Lord Jesus the Messiah. And so he's saying to them, listen, sin should not have rule over you, dominion, king over you. Why? Because you are not under the law, you are under grace. Now there are those who tell us that because God had given to us the law, we are able to keep the law. We are able to kind of rise up to God's high standard of perfection that God had given to Israel in the law. You look in your own life and I look in my own life and you just take just simply those ten commandments. There are many other more commandments in the scriptures. But just look at the ten commandments and you tell me, you tell yourself, you tell the Lord whether you ever were able to totally obey God's law. Just one law that God, that Apostle Paul reminds us, and he reminds us in Romans chapter 7, that thought of the inward desires that we have, the covetousness that we have. Paul said, unless I knew that the law said thou should not covet, unless I've been told, you know, and I know it in my life that I have coveted, and so on, and we learn from this that God's law demanded perfection. And because God could not receive perfection from the human race, judgment was to come. But then grace came. The Lord Jesus came from heaven, and he brought redemption for us, and God took a sinner, such as you and I, who simply believed in the Lord Jesus, and he forgave our sins because of the finished work of Jesus the Messiah. We are not under the law, but we are under grace. Have you ever thought of it to meditate a little bit on your own and to see, Lord, what is it that you found in me that you was willing to provide for me this grace? Just think about that. What is it that God was so much willing in love with us that he was willing to provide for us this unmerited favor, the grace of God, the chen, the chesed that we read of in the scriptures? And oftentimes we read, like for example in 1 Corinthians, we read, Look at the grace of God, that He sent His Son, that though He was rich, He became poor, that through His poverty we might become rich. We read it in the book of 2 Corinthians. Very clear, beautiful verse. I think it is chapter 15. And let me just see if I can find it. 2 Corinthians or chapter 9. Yes, it says here in verse 14, and by their prayer for you, which long after you, an exceeding grace of God unto you. He said, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Second Corinthians 9 and verse 15. You have been listening to the Holy Scriptures and Israel with Gideon Levitam. Gideon teaches God's Word from a Hebrew Messianic perspective. For more information about this ministry, 
Write to Holy Scriptures and Israel, Box 1411, Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario, L0S1J0. Or visit our website at holyscripturesandisrael.com. You are also invited to Gideon's weekly Bible teaching on Fridays at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m. at Willowdale Christian Assembly Hall, 28 Martin Ross Avenue in Toronto. Holy Scriptures and Israel is made possible by your prayers and financial support. If you would like to support the program, visit holyscripturesandisrael.com. God bless you. Shalom, shalom.